Father, we thank you that we have all heard the voice of Jesus. Call us unto you to rest. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your love. As we celebrate Easter week on, on Sunday, Lord, we remembered and talked about his triumphal entry. Tonight, we're going to talk about an amazing scene from the night of the Last Supper. And we just pray, Father, that yours would be the voice that we hear, that you would lead us and guide us and teach us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 13, in the Gospels, we see at the Last Supper, when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, that he established what we know as communion. Now, we're going to take communion on Sunday, because it's actually the third Sunday, which is when we usually take communion. So I'm like, well, let's just, let's not mess with it. Um, the taking of bread and wine, of course, to commemorate the broken body and spilled blood of Jesus for our salvation. Now, John gives us a unique picture of this night, as he is the only one to record Jesus' humility in washing the disciples' feet during this time. So as we get into John 13, the first thing, I'm in John 17. I'm in the wrong chapter. As we get into John 13, um, it says before the feast of the Passover, and then in verse 2, and supper being ended. So this would be after, as we well know, um, Jesus presenting the bread, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So this would have been after that. You guys ready? John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed, Needs only wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, You know what I have done to you. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For 
for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So back in verse 1, before the Feast of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. That's just, oh, love that half a sentence right there. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garment, he took a towel and girded himself, and after that he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel that was around his waist. So he knew his hour had come. One of the things that we see repeated throughout the Gospels is Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come. That time had passed. His hour had come. That time for him to give his life for the world was at hand. Judas had already agreed to betray him under the influence of the devil. And in this knowledge and in this moment, Jesus showed us, all of us, what true servant leadership looks like. He did this in the knowledge that the Father, whom he had come from and to whom he was returning, had given everything into his hands. Now, I do have to mention something. Um, I'm a big fan of The Chosen, and I'm so sad that they introduced Judas at the end of season two. If you haven't gotten that far, I'm sorry, but there's Judas, and I'm like, no! Just think about it. Yeah, sniper rifle, get it over with. We know what you're going to do. Right? And that's going to be bad. Because, like, season three, they're going to try to get us to like him. And I don't want to like him. I know what he's going to do. It says he loved them to the end. And the mark of everything that Jesus did was and is love. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In John 15, verses 9 and 12, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And he goes on, this is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. And, and when we look, how did Jesus love us? He loved us with sacrifice. He loved us unselfishly unconditionally. He loved us when we didn't deserve it. He loved us perfectly. That's how we're supposed to love one another. So he starts washing the disciples' feet. He lays aside his garments, and this would have put Jesus in um, our world's equivalent of his boxer shorts. And so in that place, he then girded himself with a towel, which means he wrapped the towel around himself, and he fills up this basin with water. And, and I can just imagine, imagine I had you all over for dinner. 
After dinner, I get up and I take everything off but my boxers. I think at that point, most of you would just leave. Then I go in the bathroom and I grab a towel and I wrap the towel around my waist and you're like, well, that's just a step in the right direction. And then I go in the kitchen and you hear the sink going, shh, what are you doing? Don't worry about it. I'll be right back. Shh. I come out with a tub of water and I kneel down by one of you and I take your feet and I wash it and I take the towel that's wrapped around me and I start cleaning. That would be an odd scene, wouldn't it? Now, I'm nowhere near as important as Jesus. And in that culture, this was the task reserved for the, the slave you were angry with. Right? So you got, you got your slaves or your, your household servants or whatever you want to call them, and one of them messes something up, right? He burns dinner or, or let one of the donkeys go or who, whatever. Whatever he did, the master of the house is angry. And so when all the guests arrive, you, yeah, start washing feet. But look, start washing feet. That's this position in this culture. So imagine the disciples, their master, their Lord, the Messiah, stands up, takes off his clothes, walks over to a basin, fills it up with water. You don't think there were a few whispers? We're not told about whispers. But you don't think that Peter leaned over to John? What's up with, what's he doing with the basin of water? Then he comes over and he kneels, right? And the first one wasn't Peter because it says he got to Peter. So he kneels at one of their feet. Peter was just the first one to speak up, at least as far as John tells us. Gets to the first one and, you know, what, 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 what are you, Lord, Lord, Lord. He starts washing their feet and he takes his towel and he starts drying them off and one by one, he starts going around the table. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. And coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It goes on, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to come back. Verse 6. In verse 6, we see the Jesus exchange with Peter. And I like this. He comes to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, sorry, I'm going to age myself just a little bit here. What you talking about, Willie? <laughs> just a little bit. That's exact this is this is how I hear it, right? That's not what he said. But that's how I hear it. What are you washing my feet? What are you doing? Jesus answered, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you will know after this, which is interesting because in a few verses he does explain what happened or what he was doing and why. Peter said, uh-uh, you will never wash my feet. 
Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you got no part with me. So Peter says, okay, then give me a bath. <laughs> I like Peter. I think Peter and I would have gotten along. Fine, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you're not all clean. And I love this, this scene. I, I can picture it in my head. And, and so he comes, and Peter protests. You, you know, you know. Jesus gives a little bit of an explanation, and of course, Peter changes his mind. So, Lord, you're, are you washing my feet? What I'm doing, you don't understand. You will know after this. So Jesus was going to explain his actions to Peter. And not only would Peter hear that explanation, but he would one day become a servant like his master. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus replies, if I don't, you have no part with me. Peter's protest was that Jesus would ever perform such a menial and degrading task for him. And Jesus' answer is brilliant. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Hebrews 9.14, in this section of Hebrews 9, he's talking about the, the various sacrifices that were taking place and how those sacrifices under the Old Testament system were insufficient. And But he goes on, and in verse 14 of Hebrews 9, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So he cleanses our conscience from dead works. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So he cleanses our conscience of dead works, and then his blood cleanses us of all sin. That's why Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so this cleansing of our sin, not only does it make us clean and right before God, but it cleanses our conscience from the idea that any of our works would ever be good enough to accomplish the same thing. And if Jesus doesn't wash us, we have no part with him. So at this, Peter gets with the program. Okay, Lord, then not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus goes on. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said you were not all clean. And so I appreciate Peter's heart here. God wants to give him something. And he argues at first, but when he finally gives in, he goes, fine, I want it all. Don't just wash my feet, dump the bucket over my head, scrub me top to bottom. And she's like, that, that's not necessary. You're already clean. Right? This is kind of a maintenance thing, and it was more of a lesson that Jesus was teaching. But I like Peter's heart. I want you to consider something before we move forward. I want you to consider the fact that Jesus was there. And I want you to consider the fact that Jesus knew Judas would betray him. Right? As we see at the various accounts of the Last Supper, 
Jesus tells them, one of you will betray me. And they're, who is it, Lord? Well, the one who dips with me or the one I, I, I give the bread to, depending on which translation or which gospel you're looking at. And what does he do? He dips it and hands it to Judas. The one I give the bread to, that's the one who will betray me. So he dips the bread, he gives it to Judas, and they're all like, hmm, I wonder what he's getting at. It's not that hard, right? The one that I hand this to, that's the bad guy. And he hands it to Judas, and they're like, I don't get it. Right? Then he tells, and, and, and really, again, it depends on how you, which translation you're looking at. He looks over at Judas and says, what you do, do quickly. But it tells us, the Bible tells us, that Satan entered him before he said that. So I honestly don't think he was saying it to Judas. I think he was saying it to Satan. Just my personal take on it. But he knew. He knew what Judas had done. He already knew he made a deal. He already knew he'd been given the 30 pieces of silver. He already knew that he was going to go get the high priest, or not the high priest, but the temple guard and, and whatnot, he already knew when he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane that these people were going to come out and arrest him. He already knew he was going to die a horrible day, death the next day, and he knew Judas was part of it. He knew, he knew, he knew. Yet when it was time for dinner, he ate with him, celebrating Passover with Jesus. Deliverance and freedom. Then when it was time to wash their feet, he eventually came to Judas and he washed his feet. He served the one that was going to be at least partially responsible for his death. He served him on his knees. I don't think I could have done that. We all know Jesus is better than me. But honestly, I, I don't know that I could have done that. <laughs> I don't need to pray for one another. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus explains. He told Peter that he would understand after this, and I'm guessing that this explanation is what Jesus was referring to. He knew what he was going to teach them, and Peter just needed to wait a few minutes to get that far. So he starts, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. Jesus is clearly the teacher. He is clearly their Lord. We also know him as God the Son, the Messiah and Savior. And it's important that we recognize who Jesus fully is because it adds so much more to what took place here. Remember when we read 
in Philippians chapter 2 that he humbled himself. He became a bondservant, came in the likeness of men. And then that Jesus was highly exalted and given the name above every name. But there's an order of things. Before his exaltation came his humility and service. Most of us want the crown. I know I do. I do. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Oh, I want him. And I want him to put that crown on my head so I can cast it back at his feet because he's the only one who's worthy. But see, we want the crown, but we want to, we want to skip the cross. Jesus is teaching us that that's not how it works. You want to be exalted? Humble yourself. You want the crown? The cross comes first. In Luke 9, 23 through 26, Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, and, and, and have you ever heard somebody say, oh, you know, that terrible husband of mine is, I've never said that, but that terrible husband of mine is just my cross to bear. No, it's not. Or that, that, that co-worker who is such a pain in the rump, that's my cross to bear. Uh-uh. You want to know what your cross to bear is? Deny yourself. And follow him. That's the cross we're meant to bear. What the cross represented was that. That's what the cross represents. He goes on in verse 24, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And I've always liked that. Kingdom economics works different than worldly economics. We watched the new Spider-Man movie last night. And there was a scene where Andrew Garfield Spider-Man from The Amazing Spider-Man saved the other Spider-Man's girlfriend. Now, that's really, really important in the movie because he failed to save his girlfriend in his last movie. So it's a whole multiverse thing. It's very cool. I know my nerd is, it comes out. I can't help it. But he starts crying when he saves her, right? Because in our economy, oh, we save the life, right? Oh, I got to save the life. I got to save the princess, or I got to save the whatever. I got to fight the German terrorists so my wife's plane can land. Die Hard. That's a go Bruce, right? This is a Die Hard reference. But that, that's us. Kingdom economics is a little different. Kingdom economics says, no, lose your life. Let it go. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and, you know, if you see someone drowning, hey, whoever loses his life will save it, have fun. No, I'm not telling you to do that. You see someone drowning, help them. Their car is on fire, try to get them out. Right, little, that's, I'm not, I'm not telling you that. But it's for us. We let go. Because what profit is it if we gain the whole world and we ourselves are destroyed or lost. 
You know, I think about the people that have billions. What about hundreds of billions of dollars? There's a few. They don't know Christ. That money means nothing. It means nothing. He goes on and finishes off that section with Luke 9. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So he goes, you call me teacher. You call me Lord. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, the word for if, he goes, if I then your Lord and teacher. The word for if, it's a terrible English word. It should be since. Since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should do the same thing. Since Jesus is our Lord and teacher, since he is our Savior and Messiah, since he is God the Son, and he was willing to serve others in this humility, we should be willing to do the same. If we ever think or say that we're too good for something, then we are not following Jesus' example. Galatians 6.3, I love this verse, says, If anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You think you're too good for something? You're lying to yourself. If I think I'm too good for something, I'm lying to myself. And he finishes it. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus is our master, and we are his apprentices. We're not greater than he is. Jesus is the one who sent us. So that doesn't, we're, we're not greater than the one, as the ones who were sent, than the one who sent us. And it's great for us to know these things. You will not, most likely, meet a Christian who will not make a mental assent to this truth. You ever meet a Christian, a servant's not greater than his master? Well, of course I'm not greater than Jesus. Good. Go clean that toilet. Well, you don't understand. I just thought you just said you're not, you're not greater than your master. If he was here and that toilet needed cleaning, he'd clean it. Pastor Chuck Smith of um, Calvary Chapel, uh, they have, oh, they were one of the first megachurches, 30,000, 40,000 people. Just crazy amount of people showing up over all these weekend services. This is back in the 70s. All the hippies, yeah. The guy who plays Jesus in The Chosen, Jonathan Rumi, is playing um, uh, Lonnie Frisbee in a movie about it now. Anyway, that's another story that's, that has nothing to do with anything. Most of you probably don't even know who Lonnie Frisbee is. Um, Chuck, with their pastoral staff, they had plus pastors on staff teaching Bible studies, they had a Bible school and, 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 and all, all the different things that pastors do, counseling, weddings, funerals, because at a church that size one person couldn't do it all he used to make his pastors clean all the bathrooms 
on their campus, hundreds of thousands. But that was their job. Now, they had a cleaning crew. They had a staff coming, and they would vacuum, and they would do all that stuff. But Chuck would have his pastors go clean the bathrooms. And I, the first time I heard that, I was very young, and I thought, oh, that's, it sounds good, but is it true? Then I was at a pastor's conference once. 1,500 pastors from around the world, and, and it was for Calvary Chapel. And I went in to use the restroom, and I came back out, and Chuck was standing there with a paper towel, wiping the sinks off because they were a mess. And 10 minutes later, he was on stage teaching the Bible. He didn't just talk about it. He did it. I'm trying. Because it doesn't do us any good just to know it. We've got to do it. We talked about this in James 1.22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If we hear all this, we can, we can make a mental assent to it being true. But if we're not living it out by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We don't do this on our own. Praise God. But if we don't live it out, we don't really believe it. On the night, as we close, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night that he was betrayed, he showed us what it meant to serve. The next day he would show us again to an even greater degree. And we're going to talk about that more in a couple days at our Good Friday service. But here, when he could have been doing anything else, he could have been making demands of his followers. Tomorrow they're going to kill me. So tonight, I'm going to sit here. Y'all are going to bring me wine. Y'all are going to rub my feet because i got a rough day ahead of me. He could have done that. Would, would they have said no? Of course not. But instead, he showed them, he showed us what it meant to be selfless, what it meant to serve others, even in the most demeaning way possible. This led to the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where they went after this. <coughs> where Jesus acknowledged and submitted to the will of the Father that his death would be the only thing that could pay the penalty for our sins. We're going to talk about that a little bit more on Friday. But for today, I want you to take home the importance of our service to one another as followers of Christ, because that's what was demonstrated to us. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. In the book of Acts, Barnabas is called the son of encouragement, and he's such a great example of that. When Saul was first saved in, in Acts chapter 9, he comes down to Jerusalem. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. So Barnabas went and got him, came alongside him, brought him in. When they, you know, they tried to kill Paul, so he had to leave. So Barnabas ends up in Antioch a few chapters later and realizes that he needs help discipling the new believers. So he went and got Saul, and they taught the people there for over a year. Jesus, of course, is our ultimate example taught us that we all need people in our lives who can encourage and support us. Barnabas showed us that we need to do that for other people. As followers of Christ, we all need a Barnabas in our lives. Someone who can 
someone who can and will encourage and support us. We also need to be a Barnabas in somebody's life. To have others whom we encourage and support. In the end, Jesus washed feet. So can you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beautiful example of your son. That on the night when he, he could have done so many other things, he chose to serve. He chose to teach us what it means to serve. And so, Lord, I know in our culture we don't often wash one another's feet in a literal sense, but you give each of us opportunities day after day to serve the people around us. And sometimes we don't want to because maybe it's embarrassing or it's demeaning or, or we feel like we're better than that. God, help us to get rid of that attitude and to follow our Savior, to serve those around us as well. In Jesus' name.